Welcome to The Fortress. I'm Tim Power. Now, in pop culture, prison life is depicted as a drama-filled environment where danger is always imminent. So when I spoke to Danny, an Australian man who has served more than three years in a Queensland prison, I kind of expected that he was going to bust a lot of myths, that he was going to tell me that prison is far more mundane and boring and ordinary than anything we might see in, I don't know, let's say a Netflix series. But guess what? He busted nothing. If anything, prison life, as he describes it, sounds far worse and more harsh than what we tend to see on the TV. Danny confirms that the weak are preyed upon. Being the prison bitch is a genuine possibility. That racial tensions do exist. That being gay in prison is practically a sentence in itself. And that the quiet and the reclusive simply do not last long. Danny talks to us about his early life of crime where doing people over was simply par for the course. He tells us what it's like in maximum security prison and now, as a very active hands-on father, he tells us how his new life focus is giving back to his community. We really should be listening to people like Danny who've had extraordinary life events when it comes to healing our communities or facing issues like youth crime. People like Danny have an insight that most of us simply cannot draw upon. You're here to help the average person understand what prison life, I suppose, might be like and how people end up there as well, because uh, most people have absolutely no clue, except maybe through television shows, I suppose. What were the mistakes you were talking about that you made in your youth? Oh, where do I start? I think I did a bit of everything when I was young. Um, stealing cars, arm robberies, just um, stupid, stupid things like that. I never broke into houses, but I used to, I did ram raids on the Gold Coast um, mm -hmm. quite a lot. And uh, yeah, things like that, I guess. Yeah. It might seem like a really naive question, but how does a young fella end up in that world, uh, is it, I mean, a lot of people would be saying, oh, there has to be a troubled home life there. My family worked a lot. They weren't the worst people in, in the world. My stepdad had a bit of a bit of an anger problem sometimes, uh, which wasn't good. Um, and my half-brother got treated a lot better than I did. Um, and my sister, we used to call him the golden boy. So <clears throat> this was a blended family, Danny. Yeah, yeah. So I, I took off and, um, like, I, I had an interesting life. We lived in Maningruda Aboriginal Settlement when I was when I was little, you know what I mean? So um, my stepdad used to run it um, through YMCA, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So we travelled, like, uh, Australia when I was really little and uh, we ended up in a small town that had uh, nothing, had no jobs. Uh, there was just nothing there and... Um, yeah, so I was always fighting with my family and uh, rebelling and uh, I got done for stealing a car in school un uniform, um, which I didn't actually steal it. It was uh, my friend 
that actually stole the car. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, that was the beginning. Cause, How uh, old were you, Danny? Uh, I was just turned, uh, just turned 14. So. Right. And that was, was that the first time that you'd got up to crime or was it the first time you were caught? Uh, that was, well, my friends have been stealing bikes and things like that, but I wasn't really criminally minded. Um, but when they sent me away to a boy's home, um, after that, I became criminally minded. So, Who's um, they? Who sent you? Was that because you got caught stealing the car and the justice system sent you to a home? Or well, no, that was, that was my parents because mum's friend was a QPS officer and she mm-hmm. said like, Send send him away to this this place. You know what I mean. And um, so they sent me to this place. The breaking horses and um, all troubled youth used to go to. Um, and it just taught me to be very, very angry. Uh, and then then I turned into a criminal. Then I was definitely yeah. I I um and then you know you evolve. It's like I start out stealing cars and doing the odd arm robbery and. Ram raids, and then I got into drug dealing and debt collecting and stuff like that. You know, you evolve. You start off small and you kind of get bigger and bigger, you know, as you go. But uh, that decision that your family made on the advice of, you know, someone official to send you away sounds like probably the worst thing they could have done for you. It was, and that's why I'm a big advocate of people not actually being sent away because I, I was at a... You know, I wasn't a criminal then. I, I was just mixed up with sort of the wrong person. You know what I mean? I mean, my parents, I ran away after I stole the car because, like, my stepdad was pretty angry. My mum was in tears. Um, and I ended up at a biker clubhouse because the um, guy that I stole the car with, his dad was um, president of a club. And so here I am playing pool, thinking I'm really cool, you know, um, only young fella. And... My stepdad comes in when my mum grabbed me, gave me, they got a tip off. I was there by one of their friends that was drinking there at the time and um, embarrassed me very badly, uh, kicked me up the bum and grabbed me by the ear and took me around the pool table and took me home. So, um, yeah, that wasn't my scene. I kind of, I got into that scene um, of crime and all the rest of it, you know, because of, I guess, because of where I got sent and what was it like a property that they sent you to? Was it like a like a, a sanctioned property where young people who were starting to go off the rails, and in theory, it was meant to bring them back on the right path? Yeah, it was uh, lots of fights, uh, lots of drama. Um, it, it, there was older boys, and some of the older boys were, you know, I saw a guy slashing his wrists in front of me. You know what I mean, Darren? Right. I remember his name, Darren, and. Um, yeah, they, they had older boys at top camp basically because it was the, um, what they call top camp. And, um, yeah, he, he slashed his wrist right in front of me and there was blood everywhere and I was like, holy moly. And um, another one, Jarlin, um, that was that was there, New Zealand guy, um, he was an older guy. He ran away with Darren and ended up in, um, in the watch house basically and charged with raping a woman. So, look. Some of the people there should not have been around uh, 13, 14-year-old children. Let's just let's just put it that way. You know what I mean? It was a very different, um, yeah, very different place. So You'd only known this family life, dysfunctional as it might have been, and then you were sent to this place without 
the familiarity of what you had known? Was it scary when you first arrived at this? Would you call it a ranch? It it was look they broke in horses um they it was mostly Aboriginals um it was uh, being like there was only a couple of white people we got picked on quite a lot so um even see I grew up with Aboriginal people so I thought like everyone gets along you know what I mean sort of thing so it was my first experience of um yeah the the uh, yeah, it, it, it was tough at times. Don't get me wrong, there were some really good people that I made friends with who were nice, but there were some also some really bad people there. So, But who ran it? Who, who, was, who were the adults that were there and charged with the job of keeping you safe, really? Um, it was a guy called, um, I, I don't know if I want to go into it, but um, it, I can tell you it got closed down um, for a bit because of things that were happening there. Well, let's not sugarcoat it, Danny. There was abuse by the sound of it happening there. Yeah, there was. There was there was a fair bit of abuse happening. Um, so, were you uh, abused, Danny? Me, um, things happened. You know what I mean. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I don't really go into it too much. What happened back in the day. Um, but let's just say it was definitely the start of my. Um, who, who I was, you know what I mean? I kind of, after being there, I kind of, a part of me was a bit dead, you know what I mean? So when I hurt people when debt collected or I bashed them, you know, all the rest of it, I think I didn't feel it, you know, the emotion was uh, was gone, you know what I mean, for sympathy, you know? So it made me angry, I'll tell you that. I, I became pretty angry going there. To use your words, it left you dead. It's sort of, it's the system, you know what I mean? It's, it, it happens, you know, rapes happened, um, people get molested. But look, boys' homes and places like that and places, you know, they're a lot worse than the prison system. Boys' homes aren't good. They should, shouldn't have boys' homes for anyone, I don't think. Danny, tell us how you got away from this boys' home. Like, th- did you run away from it? Were you released uh, from it? How did it be that you were no longer at this home and what did uh, you they do sent next? me back by plane uh to my family basically and when i got back uh my parents noticed the change i was a lot more aggressive and um different i guess you were in this home boys home for about 18 months no 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 it wasn't even 18 months um it was it was about six months um, that's all it was, six months. And uh, in that those six months, yeah, I, uh, yeah, those six months were pretty bad. Yeah, they weren't. Uh, thank goodness it was only six months, I can tell you now. Here's the story so far. Your parents or your mother and your stepfather, probably if we could talk to them, were, were struggling to deal with your behaviours. Then there's an incident where you're caught with a stolen car that incident with the car happens, you get sent away to this boy's home for six months, you experience abuse Uh, by the sound of it, you see things that you really shouldn't see at that age, and I can tell there's a lot more that's happened in those six months than you've shared. Then you go back to the family home, and in theory, your your family's thinking he's going to come back a little bit reformed, but anything but. By now, I have anger issues and I'm at the point of uh, they put, you know, 
I'm not in a very forgiving state of mind. Let's put it this way. So I'm, I'm by this stage, I'm fighting people. I'm punching on. I'm getting a reputation. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm very angry. You know. Um, so I took off. I, I went to all these youth hostels, and um, I'm also doing ram raids. I'm also um, doing over factories and shops, which. Um, so I've never ever done over a house in my life. Um, don't get me wrong, I've turned someone's power box out, which was my trick if they had money for drugs and they'd come out and I'd um, hit them over the head with a steel pole or something. But um, never broken into a house. I've always had my morals, you know what I mean? Amongst some people, is it an important code? Is it that you haven't invaded somebody's home? Is sort of a line in the sand for some people? Look, certainly for you. There's, there's no code anymore okay i'll tell you a story back in the day there were all sorts of codes there were biker codes where um you could not um you couldn't go to someone's place of work you you couldn't uh, go to their house and you wouldn't hurt them when they're with their children right so you'd make sure they'll by himself the house was off off limits uh the workplace was off limits and what their family were off limits now that all the codes that used to be around the old school coast they're long gone Okay, they're not around anymore. I mean, think about it. Here's Shane Bowden. Um, he's just come home and next thing he's, you know, he's just been shot, you know, in his own place. You know, like back in the day, those sorts of things wouldn't have happened. The old code, it's non-existent. And all these people, young, you know, foamies, as I call them, because they're not in plastics, you know, they've got no code. They're all on the ice and just, you know, they just don't care. There's no, there's no respect. There's no honour. It's been out the window for a very long time, I can tell you now. And um, I know a, a, a sergeant, funnily enough, um, who I talked to ages ago about it, and, and a detective, the detective I talked to more, um, who was retired, and he told me back in the 70s they had to threaten people or beat them with phone books to get information. He said these days they spill their guts as soon as they're in the cells, you know what I mean? So it's mm. a, the, there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's no code or honour. So that the rest of the conversation has some context to it, what was some of the crime that you were wrapped up in? I almost need to safeguard myself to think, okay, Danny was just, you know, he was knocking over a, a, a shop or a factory, but there was violent crime involved in your life as well, wasn't there? Of course. Tell us about it. Well, I, I can't go into my full-on violent crime, obviously. Would it be fair to say, again, me being very naive, that it was organised crime you were part of? I wouldn't say it's organised. <laughs> Disorganised crime. That slipped out there. I wouldn't say it's organised. Uh, look, I've met a lot of people in my time and um, I've never joined a gang. Um, I've helped different people and organisations with certain things back in the day. I think everyone knows that. Um, it's not a secret, you know what mm. I mean? Um, well, let's let's change tact. Tell us about the first time that uh, you were arrested for a crime that meant you were headed to prison for the first time. It was, yeah, well, it, it was like, ah, oh, shit. Um, I almost got shot, actually, because I was uh, running along the beach and a detective, the armed robbery squad, actually, um, had his gun and I had my hand in my bag because I was trying to get rid of the um, weapon, basically. And, yeah, he was so upset afterwards, this young fellow, because 
he said, you know, I almost shot you. And I was like, he said, I didn't know what you're reaching in your bag for. And I was just trying to get it out to chuck it into the into the ocean. Do you know what I mean? What did you done though, Danny? You were running along a beach, so you'd you'd robbed somewhere in a well, group or on your own? No, this was this was a bungled one. See, I I didn't get done for my yeah. I didn't get like I said. I got done for very little. I was pretty intelligent, I think. Um, so, me and my associate went to a place we I we owed money for drugs, weed basically, and I was supposed to get back pay. And it hadn't come through, and they kept on stuffing up my youth allowance to pay this drug dealer. And he'd been harassing. He went around to the youth hostel and uh, kicked in the letterbox and did all these weird and wonderful things. Um, so we went to this shop anyway, and uh, there was a guy there. So we're like, oh, yeah, cool. And um, we we went away, you know, we came back, and uh, next thing you know, there was a lady there. And I said to him, I said to my co-accused, I said, um, Nah, man, I said, uh, the bloke's gone. We, let's. He said, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. I said, nah, man, like, let's just leave it, you know. We'll wait till the bloke's back. So, Because, see, I've always had a respect for women, even when I was debt collecting, you know. It was like I didn't believe in uh, hurting the women, you know, or with people with children, you know. So, um, and I'm really sorry to keep reflecting back to you, Danny. I'm just trying to keep track. So you and, and uh, the co-accused, as you call them, you you found found a shop that was yep. only one person in it. But I know the there was two, we- two, two, ladies, two ladies were in it, but before that there was a bloke. So, yep. um, but but let, me, let me just make sure I'm getting this right. But then at the point where you're actually going to commit the robbery, there's only females in the store. And so there's a bit of a conversation happening at this stage about should is this the right time? Shouldn't we wait till the man comes back? Am I right? Yes. He'd gone across the road and I got informed by the ladies that if he would have been there, it would have been really bad. <laughs> so, um, How so? Well, I was only – look, uh, because he he would have uh, he would have had us apparently, but look, I, I'm only a young fella here. I'm like uh, just turned seventeen. Okay, so yeah, just turned yeah. seventeen. So I'm not exactly you know thinking straight. So I'm just thinking I've got to get this money. And the guy, the drug drug dealer we had money to suggested we do a robbery and get the money for him. You know, so um, we were we were. How much did you owe out of interest? Um, I owed two hundred fifty bucks. And so this man is like a convenience shop and you're trying to get into the till, essentially, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. We, well, that's pretty much it until um, I realised that there were two two ladies there and I and I told my mate, no, nah, we're not doing it. He had the weapon, by the way, and I said, I'm not doing it. I'm going. And he said, no, we're doing this. We're doing this now. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, man. I said, we're not doing this. So I basically talked him out of it and... Their version was they talked him out of it, but that's not actually what happened. I took the guy out of it and said, we're going, man, and put my foot down and we left. Now, the weapon was a gun? No, it was a knife. Okay. And did you end up getting the money from the till? No. No, no. So what were you – So, but they noticed the weapon, obviously. How did police become involved in that if you had decided to withdraw from the crime? Because my mate had already had a go at him basically, so they knew he was trying to rob him and said, give me the money, give me the money. And uh, I, I, I by then had said, nah, man, we're going, we're going, and talked him out of it because he was getting pretty agitated at that point in time. Anyway, we took off along the beach. Um, 
trying to get away and there's cop cars everywhere we see them on on the esplanade we see d cars we see police cars and we're like holy moly so uh my co-accused he goes swimming he thinks he can swim to fraser Island. um and he <laughs> this is on me, the gold coast by the sound of it and he gives me the knife basically in the bag throws it to me so i'm running he said get rid of this so i'm running down the beach and uh Next thing you know, there's two detectives um, behind me and uh, we saw their car because back in the day the D-cars had, uh, was it Q? Yeah, had Q or G or something in the number plate, if I remember. This is a long time ago. I think it had G, they had G or something in their number plate or Q. But um, so anyway, um, yeah, he almost he almost shot me because I'm trying to get rid of the knife and uh, with the bag and... Next thing you know, I get crash tackled to the ground, and he he was so upset. Like I don't blame him to this day. He almost shot me. You're going to be pretty upset, um, and handcuffed me to a handcuffed me to a tree, um, and then they went and got Craig, which took ages for them to get. So yeah. Oh, he was still out in the ocean, was he? Well, he was trying to swim. Yeah, he was trying to get away. <laughs> so we're not talking sophisticated crooks, are we, Danny? To be fair, seventeen-year-olds, very young. Not at the start. Not at mm. the start. See, you start off small, and then you get, you know, you get sucked into when you got like when I was drugged. I had twelve people all working for me. You know what I mean? Bringing in large amounts, and that. Mm. You know, so you kind of you realize that money is money's where the drugs are, weed. You know, like yep. so you, you you evolve. You know, then I went, so you didn't you didn't get put in prison for that incident. No, no, it was after I went to the Gold Coast and got done for Brothers Nielsen. I did ram raids on um on the Gold Coast um and ra- I did ram raids and I hit a place like three different times. You know, with a car and got away with like. 75 grand's worth of stuff or some weird stuff back in the day. So, Mate, can we just, like, I know that Ram Raids to you is, like, you know, shorthand for whatever it is, and I've got a sense of Ram Raids when you put a car through a building and then that exposes the building, you get in, you take what you want and you leave. What are you Ram Raiding? Are you in a group of people? Is it, like, um, convenience stores? Is it pubs? What are you Ram Raiding? I, I did have a group. We were all street kids um, or homeless, and some of us came from um, the youth ho- I was staying at Mac House, the youth hostel. So uh, people wanted their cars burnt out, so they'd pay me 500 bucks to uh, steal their car and burn them out so they could claim on the insurance. So I was, I was the... I did so too many to count. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I was making money. I was getting wiser and smarter, you know. Being processed for the very first time into okay. into a prison, just take us to the point of processing exactly what happens. Walk us through. Okay. So you come from the watch house, okay, they put you in a paddy wagon and they take you to a jail. Usually, it, back in the day, it was Arthur Gorry, okay? Right. So, at Arthur Gorry, you'll be taken out, you'll be strip searched, upon which you'll be squat and cough um, to see if you've got any items. You'll have to move your ears from left to right, pull your ears back, pull your bum cheeks back, um, your armpits up, hands over your head, open your mouth. They'll have gloves on and they'll be, uh, you know, feeling around in your hair and places and then you'll go in, You'll go and get dressed and they'll send you to a unit basically and it's a, called an induction unit. 
So, and the first time that happens to you, that you're being processed, what's going through your head? Are you already a little bit familiar with this because of maybe curfews and youth houses you've been in, or is this an absolute shock to the system? No, well, when you go to the watch house, you have the same thing. So when you first get caught for a crime, they will search you. Okay, so they will you will squat and cough in in front of um, in front of them anyway. So you kind of you know, and if you get done for you know they they're trying to get you for something, they'll do a search on you. So I've by the, this time I've had searches left, right, and center. So I'm used to it. It's like normal to squat and cough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's not embarrassing. It's just how it is. You know. Um, so I, I, I go to court, um, uh, again, basically for Ram Raids and I'm like, okay, I'm definitely, you know, this is it. I'm going away. You know what I mean? Like they're going to, you know, and the judge, it was the weirdest thing. The judge, um, let me off again. And like, because of your young age, rah, 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 you know, um, people complain about the justice system, not working for young people. I've got to be honest. They, it, it really doesn't. They let it. They keep giving them chances upon chances upon chances. Uh, and I had I'd done like six months, and they let me back out. And I was like, because of your time served and the nature of your young age, um, he they let me back out. And I was, to be honest, I was blown away. So um, I'm out free, going wow. You know, I'm invincible. Okay, so you're released. You're feeling a flush of invincibility. What happens next? Um, well, I started getting in with this other people, and we started we started doing over a few drug dealers, which seemed like an all right thing at the time. I mean, they're drug dealers; they're not going to run to keep the police. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what are they going to do? Excuse me, police officer. I've just, you know, had on my had two pounds of weed stolen. You know what I mean? Um, so that was that was kind of when I started making really good money. And then there was a uh, a real estate, which, well, I, yeah, I, I can't talk too much about it. I just realised. But um, look, there was certain places that we did over safes and things like that. We stole money from, and a, a lot of the time it was an inside job. Do you know what I mean? Like someone that worked there or was disgruntled, you know? Yep. Um, who wanted money. And they're like, well, I know this work place has all of this money at it, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is how you do it. Um, so, yeah, we I, I took off and uh, I was doing pretty good for my age, you know, and I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I go back uh, to my... Yeah, one of my hometowns, because I've got a few hometowns, really. Uh, Gold Coast is definitely one of them. And start running amok again. And uh, I get, yeah, I I get done for stealing cars. And, uh, yeah, some other other stuff. And uh, next thing you know, this time I'm sent away for three years, seven months, and 14 days. They sort of go, all right, we've had enough of you. You're going away, and uh, that's not just stealing cars, though, is it? It sounds like there was was there violence involved in that episode. Well, I resisting police, uh, you know, just there's a long list. We'd be here all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So this time you go away for three years or more, uh, and are you put into uh, an institution the type of which you'd never seen at all up until this point? Okay. Now Woodford. 
when we went in there, it was really strange. There was smoke in the air, right, coming from so, and I was like, wow. They gave us our food, and there was a rock in the food, and I knew something. We'd got told at Brellum that there was going to be a right, okay? So people weren't happy. There's going to be a right. The whole jail system knew there was going to be a right at Woodford because they weren't treating them very well. Now, for the international listeners and and the Australian listeners too, Woodford is a prison in Queensland, right? It's maximum security. Maximum yep. security. So you're in there, and this is a brand new experience for you. You get a rock in your food, and you are aware that a riot is pending. Okay, well, my first day, they rushed me into a unit, okay, and there was smoke in the air, and we were all talking, going, what the hell is going on? Okay, so next thing you know, um, there's bang, the window smashed, and it's like about 5.30, 6 o'clock, um, and I'm like... Oh, I'm looking out going, holy shit, like there's people with socks, brown socks on their heads with holes in them and jumpers, you'd brown jumpers that were cut off and holes in them. And I'm like, wow, this is like out of a movie. So I leave, leave my cell as you do. And there's a guy who's on the phone. Okay. Cause you had your phones at residential that you could use. And, um, yeah, he, he's on the phone talking to his mum saying there's a riot going on. So the phones were still working because you had a, a card where you could put in your prison number to use the phone. So you could still use them. He's talking to his mum. There's right on mum, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, another person who I, who I knew had ripped out a uh, bar from the Coke machine um, and all his Cokes and drinks and soft drink had come out. And I grabbed one of the cans of Coke and uh, started drinking it, basically. Of course, I put a token there to, to be legit of course just for the views <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah so I'm walking around everything's on fire people were smashing stuff next thing you know uh, there's a helicopter above and it, it's like crazy right above us I'm like wow and dog squad have come in and there's bang bang there's I reckon there was only two shotgun blasts but some people reckon there was three and everyone was scattering it was like uh, and people were trying to escape. People were trying to get into the protection because they had Boneyard then back in the day. What's Boneyard? And, well, that's where the protections, that where, where you have um, people who have informed on people. Oh, okay, right, people, got it. Yep. They're people protected have, people. Sex offenders, police who have, uh, you know, obviously they can't go in mainstream police. Um, so they'd go on protection. And to be honest, an uh, awful lot that owe money for drugs. Mm-hmm. So if you have money for drugs and you can't pay it, uh, you're gonna bad things are gonna happen to you. You're gonna either have to give sexual favors to pay off your drug debt, um, or you know you can get bashed or really bad killed or um, yeah you're end up pay on protection. up in some way, right? So take us back you, to the riot. Don't don't move away from that. So people are trying to get into that. There's a helicopter up there. There's two or three bangs. You've picked up a coke in the middle of all of this. What happened? Oh, I've been walking around. It's been going on for a while. So I've, I've walked around. I've almost finished my coke. I'm walking around going, wow, this is cool as, you know what I mean? Um, one of my friends actually tried to get out. There were all things against the fence. Like you had these plastic seats, which were all joined, like th- three in a row. And he had, had actually tried to escape. And he said, police were on the other side. And a cop had stood up with his gun drawn and said, if you, he said, go back or I'll shoot. So... Um, no one escaped, luckily, for, I guess, them. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, so 
Uh, next thing you know, dog squad are running around. They're getting us into the tennis courts. Everyone's arced up and trying to like fight them and stuff like that. It was like chaos. And uh, we all got taken to uh, different things. Uh, by the way, I went back into my unit. I knew what was going to happen. So I'd been walking around with a coke. I saw him grabbing people and, and crash tackling them. So I ran back to my cell and actually closed the cell door and laid in it and pretended to be asleep. <laughs> so when they came around getting people, they shone a torch in my eye and I, I was like, oh, What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I, I got to stay at residential because they thought I was a uh, non-combatant, which I wasn't. I was just walking around drinking a Coke. Um, so And this was yeah, your first I, day? This was my first day. It was crazy. I was like, and they had they got a little intercom where you can call the screws or you can um, listen to music. And I put on the song, and this is True as God, the Bloodhound Gang, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire song was on. And I was like, <laughs> whole, and we all pissed ourselves off. And it was hilarious. Wow. We were like, oh my God. So, Danny, I'm assuming the smoke was because prisoners had set things alight, right? Well, Spider Fovo set a mattress on fire up at Secure, which burnt the perspex, which they claimed was couldn't be done. Um, and they, they got out. Another guy threw a TV who I can't talk about because. He hasn't been charged for it, obviously, and the right was on. So the screws were trying to defuse it before it happened. They knew it was going to happen by trying to order pizzas, you know, for the prisoners, which is what I heard. And, Danny, for a lot of people telling this story, it's their first day in a maximum security institution, they'd be telling it with, like, fear, but you are walking around thinking this is wicked. Man, I'm only young... I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the system, mm -hmm. you know. At this stage, I mean, I, I you know, I've in, in my prison time at Woodford, um, one of the screws reckoned that I had the most amount of breaches, pretty much. So I had like stupid amount of breaches. I was always in trouble making brews, tattoo guns, or um, you know, doing the wrong thing, even stealing the screws cups because we had plastic and they had proper ceramic ones. Right. So I'd steal them at movement control or their lighters because. You know, they used to control the lighters. So, look, I was always into something. So, yeah, back then it was like a big, you know, up yours. <laughs> Tell us about those three years in Woodford. Day one was a bit of a highlight by the sound of it, and you were always breaching the system in trouble uh, for probably what you'd call misdemeanours, I would imagine. Can you take us through your three years? What was it like? I wasn't bored, see, because I had, um, look, I had Max Sicker. He worked at Property. So he he's in, he was in jail for setting fire to a police station. And, uh, yeah, uh, later on he killed the Singh family, obviously, but he wasn't in there for that crime at Woodford. You know, he was, um, he was in B4 unit. So he would get me lighters and Uniball Fineye pens, which you could use uh, for tattoos. So he got all of the stuff that I wanted or needed and gave it to me to sell and we would go halves in the profit. So a small lighter um, would be a small pouch of ox, a big lighter would be a big pouch of ox. And the other thing is they used to buy so much ox and all the rest of it, they used to get free packs of lighters and all sorts of stuff in with their stuff. You ox know? is tobacco? It is white ox, yes. Yeah, so... Um, 
yeah, I was busy. I was busy. Um, I used to, yeah, I was busy selling and making money. I didn't. I, I don't remember being too bored. Right. And so, uh, d- did you have a crew before you went in on that day one that you described to us, or do you, does the crew find you? I didn't have a crew uh, in jail. I knew everyone. Like that I, doesn't I, really I work like in the movies. Because for me, you've just described you've got a little business going. I would have thought that oh. was a crew of people. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess so, but I wouldn't consider like us a, a gang or anything. Like we were, um, look, it, it's different in jail. You're just another bum in the in the shower. I mean, I I used to push Rocco Barber around in a wheelchair. Okay, I had him up on two wheels, and he used to laugh. You know what I mean? Like that to me was entertainment. I had Max pull me aside and say, "Hey, you know this guy Rocco Barber? He's a He's high up in the mafiosa, and I said, "No, he's Rocco's not. He's funny as he's not, you know." And later on, I found, you know, he was. <laughs> he was high up in the. So these names the that you're throwing around, these are obviously all high profile to people that work in justice or uh, have been in the criminal world, because I've never heard of them. <laughs> and I put my hand up. I don't know who you're talking about, but they're high profile people. Well, the, when you go to maximum security, you meet the high profile because they put them in maximum security jail. Of course. So, um, yes, they they are. Like I said, I mean Shane Bowden, his his high profile. He was, you know, I met him at Brallen before. Tran Van Bye, he was he was a murderer. You know, I used to talk to him and sold him lighters because he used to smoke. So, yeah, and presumably you'd come across people that are just on eye contact, incredibly intimidating, and you get the sense that they're dangerous. Look, I had two different people wanting me to be their boy, okay? And one of them ended up with a boy. He was a lifer, and that boy actually ended up getting knocked up secure, right? So that could have been me. Now, he respected me because I had a go at him and basically threatened to stab him, okay? So... It's not all fun and games, you know. There are people that, you know, obviously want to, you know, want you as their boy or, or want to take advantage or steal your shit or do running. How does somebody you know, make you... it known to you that they want you to be their boy? How does that work? I mean, in the movies, this would be happening in the shower block. In reality, what's happening? How do you become aware that somebody is trying to make you their boy? Uh, he came up to me um, and said... Basically, hey, Danny, I can look after you. You know what I mean? Um, you don't have to worry about anything. No one's going to harass you. No, you know, it's going to be all good. Um, you could be my boy. You, you're going to have to do some sexual favors for me, um, but you're not going to have any problem for any of the um, the uh, older, you know, any, any of these other inmates. So that was pretty much the problem. And, the, and the so how do you respond the first time someone asks you that? Uh, well, I was freaked out, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and he, I, I offered him out into the yard and said that, look, uh, if I have to, I'll stab you. And uh, that's what I said. I mean, you've, you've got, I mean, you're, you're a young man, you're in prison for up to three years, there's other people in there for life, it's maximum security. Is there a lot of sexual frustration and tension? Can you actually, is that palpable in a maximum security prison? Look, there's gay people in there um, as well, and I feel sorry for a lot of the gay people in there because once they know that they're gay, 
uh, they've got, uh, I'll tell you a story. I had all of my mates going up to this unit, okay, at residential, and they were joking about this gay guy, and they said to me, come on, Danny, you know, grab a bread, uh, bread packet and some Vaseline, because they were using them as condoms, bread packets and Vaseline. And I'm like, what for? And they said, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a puff here. We're all going through him. He's going skiing and everything. And I'm like, what? So anyway, um, I did not go up and get anything off this guy. I can assure the viewers right now, okay? Um, so there's gay people that... Uh, there's another gay person who goes in there who loves it so much. They had a twisted bow and they actually come out with packets of... They used to come out with boxes of white ox. So they were kind of doing the jowler service. You know, what I, I mean? don't understand I what that means. It came out with boxes of white ox. What does that mean? Well, they were doing trades oh. for sexual favors for the white ox. So but willingly, not against their will. Wi wi willingly. That so some are willingly and some are not willingly. Are there, as depicted in movies, are there sexual assaults? Are they fairly common? I wouldn't say there is. Look, there's boys. There's ones that have to do it because they have no choice. It's either they're going to get gang raped by everyone, or they're just going to get fucked by one guy. So, which would you choose? It you're going to, you're going to, you know, they're going to choose the one guy. Um, and when it's the one guy, is that sort of a trade that there's protection involved in that arrangement? Of course, there is. Right. They, they, they look after them. They give them their drugs. If they have drugs, they'll share it with them. Um, they'll take care of them. You know, they'll often. You know, um, yeah, that, that's their partner, basically. Some of them, the lifers, they take it very seriously. You know, that's the person they're going to be spending, that's their girlfriend, you know, they're going to be spending the rest of their life with, you know. What do the majority of men do with their sexual frustrational urges in a prison? I mean, even if you're not assaulting someone or if you're not willing to take a partner, so to speak, that still okay, exists. Well, SBS... When SBS, Sex Before Soccer, we used to call it, when SBS is on and there's a scene, everyone will be knocking and going, woo, woo, SBS, everyone, SBS. And next thing you know, um, everyone would flick to SBS and uh, do their thing, if you know what I mean. For our international listeners, SBS is a TV station in Australia that plays foreign films and well-known after 9pm for lots of sex and nudity and sure um, is. soft porn <laughs> almost. Certainly international films on SBS back in the 90s before you could get, you know, onto the internet was a big thing. So people would scream out SBS, SBS, and it was all on. Weather Woman. Weather Woman was a good one. I, it's imprinted in my brain was Weather Woman. Is that a film, <laughs> is it? It is. Weather Woman, everyone loved that Weather Woman show, I can tell you now. Whenever that was on, it was like, a, yeah, Weather Woman's on. What about privacy? Do you get privacy when you're in a maximum security cell? If, you, if you're having a what they call a freak or a wank, um, you would put the towel over or you're in the shower. You're not supposed to, but where the cell is, it's got a little perspex bit. You'd put the towel over it, okay? So that's a sign of... I'm busy and leave me alone. Respect me. You know what I mean? And do the officers respect that as well? Shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> they bash on it and, and they take it down and say, don't put that back up. Yeah, no, they don't respect that shit. But the crims, they respect that, you know? That's um, the equivalent of a sock on the door handle, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it's a leave me alone. I'm I'm busy. Uh, you're not supposed to have anything on your, uh, on your door. Um, but... Yeah, that's that's what you do. Don't get me wrong. Late at night, I've had many a celly. 
the bunk, you know, like at, back in the day at Brallon where the bunk was moving and it was like, because they had old bunks back in the day with, you know, real dodgy kind of setup. And the bunk would be like, yeah, moving a bit. And he was like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> uh, I, I got charged with um, destroying uh, property, basically, because I put a hole in a pillow, which was in Woodford, which was plastic up at Secure. It was like a rubbery sort of thing. And put a Wadox packet inside it and a smiley face on it. And we got ramped, which is a search. And the screws came in and they said... <laughs> The lady who who was one of the uh, screws, she couldn't stop laughing. She just cracked out laughing, and they all pissed themselves laughing. They thought it was the funniest. Danny, thing in I the am world. so slow to catch on, but essentially, are you saying that you made a, a, a woman <laughs> out of a pillow with a hole in it? I did, and a Wadox packet with Vaseline in it. I did indeed, but and I put a smiley face on it. It was it was. Uh, a bit of a joke, basically. <laughs> well, not know, a joke. Did you use it? <laughs> was it a of joke? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I, goodness. I've, I've been in there for a while now, man. I'm starting to, I'm starting to look at some people like, hey. <laughs> and is there privacy, though? Is, is there enough privacy to use a toilet without being watched, use a shower without being uh, watched? Look, they've got an outside communal toilet. So the rule is in prison... And I've seen people getting the crap beaten out of them for this. Um, you don't do a crap when you're locked down. So when you go to lockdown, you don't do a crap. You do it in. If you've got to go to it, you do it in the communal toilet that's outside. Yeah. So you try and make it so you don't use your toilet too much, unless it's for taking a leak. Certainly not for doing a crap when your cellie's in it. That's a, that can be that can be a fightable offence. <laughs> What about from officers? Um, you've got privacy from the officers as well during shower time? Not from the officers. Officers, I've had them walk in and look over and check that I uh, kept doing counting people. You know what I mean? Um, you don't have any privacy from officers. You can be on the toilet, you can be in the shower, and they can, they can check up on you. Right. Danny, it sounds to me like you had uh, a personality that had developed enough to be a bit resilient to a place like a maximum security prison. Did you ever see anyone come into the prison system who was ill-equipped, just totally wasn't going to survive? I, I saw heaps. I, I saw people... Um, look, there was one guy I talked to, Scotty. I uh, used to work up a kitchen, and he ended up... Yeah, he, he was throwing stuff at the fence um, at Woodford, and he ended up at Secure, and uh, he ended up getting knocked up at Secure. A guy that got bashed really badly with an ice bottle. They had honey bottles. You'd fill them full of water. You'd put them in the freezer so they got hard. Put them in a sock and you'd bash people with them. You know, um, at Borellon, it used to be a small can of baked beans, which um, when I was there, I saw a guy come out staggering out and blood all over the hallway because um, they'd put a blanket over him early in the morning and uh, smashed him really badly with a sock with a tin of baked beans in it. And what, what would uh, cause that? Is it? The fact that the person's weak or is it that they owe money, what would make someone become so disliked in their unit? The guy didn't fit in. So the guy with the baked beans didn't fit in in the unit. So if they've got their crew and they don't trust you in that unit, they will try and force you to leave. So they'll harass the crap out of you, make your life a living hell so that you go, I want to swap units. You know, I don't want to be in this but unit. Why didn't Can I get fit a... in? What, what was it about him, I suppose, that meant he didn't fit in. 
he didn't fit in. He was kept to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't associate every like we all. Everyone, you got to get along with everyone. So you talk to people. You make ally, allies. You know, um, you help them if they got a problem with something. Right. He 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 kept to himself and didn't pretty much talk to anyone. So, but it seems it to me only, like keeping to yourself would feel like an an, an instinct. But actually, you're saying in prison that's probably not very helpful at all. No, don't keep to yourself. Associate with people. Um, don't. They'll think that you're weak, and they'll think they'll stand over you. They'll take your buy up, um, and they maybe they'll take your virginity. You know, um, because yeah, you don't want to be weak. You don't want to be seen as weak because bad things will happen. At any point in your time in prison, were you assaulted? violently sexually at all not sexually i can tell you now and uh punch-ons or being king hit or other things or one guy over a bipe um because he wanted a uni ball pen and they'd gone up in value basically and i was selling these uni ball pens uni ball finite pens which you can use for jail tattoos um and it was a hundred dollar buy-up i was actually selling them for because i was so hard to get uh, and he didn't want to pay the 100 bucks, so he tried to stand over me. And I said, nah, nah, nah. So I copped a little bit of a hiding. He didn't get his Uniball pen still, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What did he so, do to you? Oh, just, just tried to stand over me, threatened me, was in my face. I said, nah, nah, not happening. So uh, we had a bit of a punch on. He was a lot bigger than me, and uh, I still had a go. And later on, he goes, you know what, Danny? He said, you had heart, it's all good, and that was it. So he left me alone after that because I had to go back at him. So Is the concept of top dog or a leader of a prison, is is that a true thing or is it doesn't it work like that? Look, there's gangs. When I was there, there's different groups. There was, um, there was a bit of a race problem happening because people didn't want it to be like Rallin. Uh, so there was, a, there was problems with the Aboriginal people and the white people uh, because... The, the white people didn't want the Aboriginal people taking over and the Aboriginal people didn't want the white people taking over. In prison, were things generally divided along race lines? Like if you were an Asian pr- prisoner, for example, like did you stick within your race and culture? They they had the Asian units. So they had like uh, most of them were, um, yeah, were, were in there. Were, a lot of them were in for uh, heroin, drug dealing sort of thing, mostly heroin. So they had their own unit at residential um and yeah and and i guess the italians like uh max rocco giuseppe they all used to play cards together and associate together so yeah the italians used to hang out with the italians i guess so yeah they i guess they all had their little cliques uh you know what i mean sort of thing and the aboriginals a lot of them were good, but there were also the groups that used to run in on people and, and rob them, you know what I mean? They'd see someone with a buy-up, a new person, a, a small white guy or something, and they'd, they'd beat them up and steal their buy-ups, right? Then there were Aboriginal people that would say, hey, leave him alone, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so look, there's good and bad in all races, and there were white people doing run-ins on people as well. So they're all doing the same, you know, the same sort of shit. Do you feel like you spent time amongst psychopaths? No, they're not. I got them best with the lifers. Look, the lifers I can relate to and understand, okay? Like one of one of the lifers who's died 
uh, a few years ago. He, I, I told you I became friends with him. He's the one that wanted me to be his boy, mm -hmm. okay? And I saw his brother on the outside, and he had been through the same sort of stuff as me, and he actually got a big payout for something for being raped in Bogoro Jail. You know what I mean? You, you know, I understand why these people, usually it's child it's it's you know there's something's happened it's you know something as a child or a teenager or yep. as a young person bad things have happened to them uh, and, and me when i was debt collecting and i was hurting people uh, you know i didn't care you know it, i didn't feel any sorrow for them you know i didn't feel like oh you know you can't it, it gets killed you know that part of you gets killed man you know you lose that you lose that empathy you know they're just everyday normal people who who have uh, you know just think differently I guess and if you if most of them did stuff because someone had fucked with them you know if you mess with them they're gonna mess with you if you're friends with them man you're as good as gold there's no problems you know what I mean there's no drama Danny tell us about the relationship with uh, prison guards can it be friendly or can it does it just have to be completely dispassionate. You can't be friends. I, I know three people that were I used to talk to that I had to stop talking to because they were showing pictures of their children to prison guards or talking to them, and they got beaten the crap out of for uh, associating with prison guards. So um, it's not, you, there was. Don't get me wrong. There was two prison guards that I quite liked, um, but I couldn't openly go up to them and say, "Hey, how are you going? How's your day?" You know, you can't do that shit. And what about how they treated you? To be honest, I actually, when I went up for class, so um, one of them who was the head of, head of my unit, head screw of my unit, each cluster has a head screw that runs it, runs the other screws. And uh, he said, Danny, I'm really disappointed in you. He said, your class points keep on going up. You're supposed to be getting them down. He said, you don't want to leave here, do you? And I said, no, I don't. I said, I'm, he said, you're too comfortable. And he said, well, we're going to have to do something about that. So I had pictures all on my walls. My cell was done up. It was like a penthouse, man, right? So I had all these pictures of nice cars on my wall with toothpaste. I'd put them up there. And I had box trays, which were, you know, and I had a the last um, ironing board because stupidly when Woodford opened, they put ironing boards in, which were really good weapons and used to, you know, in the right to smash up stuff. Uh, I don't know why you would have ironing boards in a in a jail. But anyway, going back to it. So I had an ironing board, which I had uh, stuff on. I had like a Nintendo 64. I had all of these different consoles and stuff um, that I'd got from people who had been beaten up or ended up on protection and stuff. And they had taken their stuff, stolen their stuff, and then sold it to me, basically, because I always had money, because I was selling uniball pens and lighters. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, so I always had cash. So I, I had the best setup in my cell, all the game consoles, I was like, you know, and they came in and they ripped down all of the everything, took the ironing board out, uh, took my game consoles off me because they said they weren't uh, registered to me. Uh, so they tried to make it harder for me so I would want to leave, basically, because I was, I was so comfortable in there, you know. I'd, when you're a, you know, when you're used to being on the streets or, you know, in and out of hostels and shit, jail's not that bad once you get used to it. You know, once you've got friends in there. Before, when you start out, 
and you have no one, it's scary and it's fucked and, you know, it's not good. But when you have friends and people that you like and they like you back, it's good, you know, and you've got a business. I've always got shit. Anything I want, I've got, you know. Why would I want to leave? <laughs> Amazing perspective. I, I, like that's that's hard for a lot of us to wrap our head around, but you've made – such sense of it like it's better than the alternative you know the i think your life had been marked by instability right from the beginning and here you've got a stretch of stability even though it's not something most of us would envy you had stability and power by the sound of it if you had money you had an element of power well i had i was the only person right because i had access to the people working at property when Max went, there was someone else that was there. So there was always someone working at property that was going through me to sell these items. So they're not going through the whole jail. They're just going through me. So obviously, I'm going to meet a lot of people by selling lighters, you know, and uniball pens. I'm going to get to know the whole prison, you know what I mean? Um, and that's what happened. So if anyone needed something, I also had porn books, basically, that you can't get in jail, okay? And I had them in uh, normal glued cut out all the pictures and put them in uh, uh normal writing books so the screws wouldn't realize and i used to charge five tokens a night for these porn books which just had porn pictures all the way through like a library that come back to you though you weren't selling they them. would they all kept they all came back to yeah, me yeah like a loan yeah. right it was it was awesome i loved it it was like yeah so I've, even now i buy and sell like i've been buying and selling you know, since back in the day, since, you know, it's something I'm good at. It, when I was drug dealing, my, the grower said, Danny, I can't believe how much money you're making me so quickly. Where were you years ago? You know what I mean? The listeners don't know yet, but this is a this is a past life that you're talking to us about today. This is a past life you're describing. It is not your life today. In fact, it sounds like it's chalk and cheese. Where did the change point come for you? Okay, okay, after I get released from prison, I'm still doing crime. I'm running a market. I start getting into drugs. I'm selling large amounts of weed, um, and I'm making a killing, and I'm loving it. I've got 12 cars, two motorbikes in my yard. And how old are you at um, this point when you're released from prison and you're back into business? 22. Right. I'm 22 years old. Okay. Yep. I'm 22. Um, I'm living it up. I meet a girl. Um, we – I, I – I, keep out of trouble for a bit because I'm with this this girl. I have two children too. Um, we're struggling for money. So I, I start I start drug dealing weed. At first she doesn't like it and then she realises all the money that's coming in and she's like, ah, you know, he's making a lot of money. <laughs> so I get done uh, again. Um, they do a raid on my place while well, they were raiding it so many times they find drugs uh and it was really funny because i had a big thing of hash and it was two big ones and the detective asked me what they were and i said it's quick steal for your car you know these two big round things of of hash and he goes oh it's quick i said yeah you rub it together you know it's for cars you know and so he left it <laughs> he left it behind. Uh, so look, they did a raid. They got a small. They got a amount of of drugs and everything. And um, I had to do community service. So yeah, I got community service, and I was doing it rest, which uh, <clears throat> is the dump basically. And the guy that was running it was called Sam, 
and he was doing uh, a place called the Pyramid, which was helping youth to get them off the street where they could play pool and all all the rest of it. You know what I mean? So I'm working for this guy doing this, and then when it ran out, I kept volunteering my time for free because I was like, he's taking me to AA, trying to help me out and stuff. You know what I mean? Because uh, he knows, you know, I've got an alcohol addiction. So the fact this guy took me under his wing was like, oh, this, you know, this is. So that was really my first taste of charity work, and I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. I don't mind, you know, like doing this, you know. And then uh, I went to Kabuta. I, I yeah, and uh, from there I started working for Friends of the Street, which was a you know was a very good charity, and I enjoyed helping them. They helped the homeless. I did the first. I was helping do the vouchers, uh, the food hampers, and then uh, I progressed. I started doing barbecues. So yeah, we were out there doing the barbecues at Bunnings and stuff uh, for the homeless, and we do it on. Uh, they'd have free sausage sizzles where the homeless would come and have a a drink and a, a free sausage and a, uh, you know, and a dessert sometimes. Danny, how old are you these days? Uh, I'm 44, I think, or 45. I can't even remember. Yeah. And your life, would be fair to say your life is very different from the one that you described to us in your 20s and 30s, right? Um, what is life like for you today? Oh, it's completely different. I uh, I help people. So... Um, I, I help prisoners. I help, uh, okay, for Christmas, we help 10 struggling families with money to help them with Christmas. Um, I've worked for pretty much every, there's not many charities I haven't volunteered or worked at at some stage uh, point in time. So, yeah, I, I look, I enjoy doing charity work and helping people. That's who I am. And I try and, uh, even when I was working at Lifeline and we had a guy that, um had had problems and spat on a police officer, you know. I kind of pulled him aside. He was in there for community service. I pulled him aside and had a talk to him. He was a top bloke, you know, but he had a reason why he spat on that police officer because when he was a teenage boy, he had been shot by the police, okay? So he'd been shot and he wasn't doing anything wrong when he got shot. Um, he was having a domestic with his family and they, uh, a female police officer shot him in Brizzy. So, look. They've all got reasons why they they don't like, you know, the, the police or the system. Um, but, yeah, I, I help out. I, I enjoy helping people. And you're a dad. You're a father. Oh, well, of course. Um, it's difficult considering he's only – he's uh, just turned eight years old. He's autistic and ADHD, which is uh, – um, he's actually only just talked the first time at school two days ago, which was amazing. So, oh wow, that's amazing! It is uh, the teacher. One of the teachers was in tears, apparently. So, um, yeah, he is he's full on. I tell you what, prison is a lot easier than raising a child with special <laughs> needs, and I can tell you that truthfully. Well, to be honest with you, I think most people would think you're making a joke. But when you're in prison, I assume you're completely focused on yourself. Focusing on someone else twenty four seven is a completely different deal, Danny. We're almost out of time. Tell me this. What do you know about this world that we live in that other people who haven't had your experiences might have no clue about? Don't alienate people, especially young people uh, who have done crime. Try and help them, give them a trade uh, and teach them the right way um, what to do it because if you send them away into the justice system, it's just a revolving door 
and they're just going to get worse. It doesn't help anyone. Like I said, the boys' homes and stuff, they should be banned. What they should be doing is putting people, young people, offenders in the community to actually help. And if I was given a chance, you know, with Sam, you know, he gave me a chance and was like, I got trusted. Man, I was taking the money at Lifeline and t- banking it. You know what I mean? Like all these other charities have trusted me with, you know, $7,000, $10,000 because they know I'm not going to take that money. But people don't, they alienate people, you know, they they make them pay for their mistakes, for, you know, forever and ever. That doesn't help. That's not going to help them. Hating someone doesn't help them and doesn't help the community. You've got to fix the problem. The youth problem is a big one that they need to fix and they're not fixing it. That's why it's getting worse. Are you an upstanding member of society now? Is that how you'd describe yourself? I would say yes. I, I don't think you'd find anyone that has a bad thing to say about me unless it would be, be a lot of ex-crims were upset that, as they said, I changed and said, that's not you, Danny, you know. Um, but, hey, you know, I, I, I don't care what they have to say there. You know, that's that's how it is. Thank you very much for giving us a glimpse into your world. No worries. Have a good day.